0: If that was modeled to you, you'll bring that in. Okay. Then the second thing is you bring in your own preference and personality, how you're wired. I am wired, and my my family of origin is to be a yeller, to be over. One time I said to my wife, first of all, and she said, first of all, okay, what's two and three, preacher? Because I know you're going to have three points in this argument. So I'm, I'm wired to be a talker, a yeller. My family yells at each other. We throw things at each other. And then, so you bring in your family of origin, you bring in your preference, and then you bring in the intensity level uh, that you view conflict at. Some people see every conflict at a 10, and some people, you know, there's a fire and your children are in the house, and they're like, "Um, okay, we'll handle this. And they, they don't bring a 10, right? So how you view the conflict intensity. All of that to say, almost everything you think about how to do conflict will make it worse. Your family of origin, that, that that model probably makes it worse. Your preferences, that probably makes it worse. And how you view the intensity, that probably makes it worse. We found we had to go back to square one. There was a moment in our marriage about six months in where Kelly went back to Washington. We were in California, which went, but well, you're in six months, it was what? Back to Washington State. She spent about a week with her friends. She came back and she said, I don't want to be married. I don't want to be married to you. And I said, I don't want to be married and I don't want to be married to you. Now, the good news of that was we were so poor at that point we couldn't afford two rents. I would say, poverty is a powerful teacher and holds a lot of marriages together. So we had to go do some hard stuff. I'm going to read you a passage from uh, 2 Timothy, and every one of these points is a harder thing to do, a challenging thing to do. Um, But they're important. And then we're going to when we talk about how to raise kids and grandkids tomorrow, we're going to get on one level more specific and that all of that will not be uh, hard and challenging. Today's the hard challenge day. okay? and then we'll give you a little bit more encouraging. And when we get to doubt in the last two, it'll be very encouraging. But all of these things are things that reset a family. They're things that you don't want to do. They're they're working out and eating kale. I told my, uh, my kids, I said, I'm going to make a kale salad. And my son said, kale, no. <laughs> all right, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. If you're still with me, give me an amen. 2 Timothy 4. I, I love the book of Timothy. Let's get a couple context pointed here. Uh, Timothy was two things to the Apostle Paul. First of all, he was a substitute pastor in Ephesus. So Paul is in Ephesus. He's called away and he places Timothy in charge. It's a battlefield promotion, okay? So you have to understand, in Second Timothy, what we have here is there's been a letter written to Paul from Timothy where Timothy has asked Paul if he can resign as senior pastor of the church. Too many false teachers, too much drama, too much controversy, uh, there's COVID, there was a race thing, I don't know what it was, but he said, he, he says to Timothy, you know what, we are, Timothy says to Paul I don't want to do this job anymore Paul writes him back and this is what we have in 1st and 2nd Timothy his Paul's response he says stay there in Ephesus I I refuse to accept your resignation so what you need to know is it's a very difficult time that's challenging Timothy's resilience the other thing you have to understand is the dynamic of their relationship Um, it's not just a ministry partnership Timothy is the son to Paul. He loves him as much as any of you love your children. Which is helpful to us, because this isn't Paul just giving advice to an associate or a peer. He's giving advice to someone he loves deeply and dearly. Everything, Timothy, First and Second Timothy are great leadership books, and oftentimes teachers will talk about them in terms of leadership principles. That undersells the powerful dynamic going here yes these are great leadership books but they're also great for a father and a son for a mother and a son for a mother and a daughter they're great for a marriage they're great for anyone that you intensely love and is having a moment where their resilience is being challenged second timothy four one through eight in the presence of god of and of christ jesus who will judge the living and the dead and a view of his appearing and his kingdom I give you this charge. Okay, stop right there. This is a classic Paul thing. Before Paul says his most important stuff, he always does this little manipulation. In the presence of God, who will judge you, in Ephesians 4, he says, I write to you from prison as I'm about to die. Now live a life. It's also chapter 4. Paul has another kind of uh, uh, pattern that you could see that makes it really beautiful to read. It's this, he starts with God's grace. Grace, 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 grace. And then there's a pivot right around chapter 3 and chapter 4, halfway through. And the pivot is, because of God's grace, now I charge you. We're at that pivot point. He's been talking to, he's given a few bits of practical advice, but he's been talking about the high calling and the grace and love of God, the faith of God. Now he pivots. Verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, do it whether you feel like it. Correct, rebuke and encourage. Such an interesting combination and very typical Paul. Correct and encourage with patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In the margin, I want you to write this in the margin uh, of your Bible. Just write the word Instagram or your favorite social media platform that is completely false news all the time. Okay, number four. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists. That's outreach. Discharge all your duties of your ministry. That's discipleship. I love that balance there. Verse six for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. In other words, I need you to be resilient because the baton's being passed to you. Everyone who has a, a, a child or a grandchild between 15 and 20, this is this is the job right here. Say, I'm I'm passing the baton. And as I pass it, I need you to know this. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who longed for his appearing. In other words, be future-focused. That's how you get hope. Um, the son-and-father relationship here, it, it's its a dense little passage. There's so much we could say, but it's really, really about how do you remain resilient in a very difficult situation. I want to go back to this question really quick before I I go through the points. What is actually weakening our families? What is causing this uh, moment? I believe that the Apostle Paul were addressing us. He would say something very similar to us that he's saying Timothy here. Yesterday, I told you uh, what is weakening our families. I gave you three things that we put our faith in. By the way, it's just the blank spot. There's no fill-ins here. Just we're still on this first page. And we are, our families are weakened when We put faith in self this is preference when we enable preference what we do is we end up disabling relationship preference creates isolation so if you give your kid everything they want they will eventually not know how to form friends so i will often go into our children's building or i'll go out when we're having breakaway our vbs and i'll listen to the kids talking to each other especially during free time and what you'll hear frequently is this. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. Do you like this? No, I don't like that. Do you like this? I don't, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, is there anyone here that likes the same stuff I like because I can only be friends with people that like what I like? Do you like that game? I don't like that game. Do you like this game? I don't like that game. And what we're doing is by giving our kids so many options and insisting that we meet every one of their preferences, we're creating very, very weak connection. What, what, what a healthy child should be able to do is go, wow, I've never done that before. Let me explore what you like. Let me show you that I can empathize with something I don't understand yet and do what you like and have a diversity of interests into my life. I was uh, walking on our campus a couple years ago and there was this uh, mom outside of our children's building and she was saying to the, the four year old girl. Her daughter, hey baby, what do you want to do? Do you want to go into the children's building, or you want to come in the service with me? What do you want? What do you want? You want to go in there with the kids? That'd be fun. Or do you want to come with mommy and stay with mommy? And then about five days later, I was right outside of our college-age ministry, and there's a dad out there, and he's bulging neck muscles, and he's shouting at his nineteen or twenty-year-old. You will go into that service and you're going to worship God and you're going to be grateful for the fact that you live rent free in my house. What's wrong with this picture? It's exactly reversed. The mom should be saying, you're going in there and you're going to be nice. And when I come back, I better see something colored and it should be Jesus with a lamb. And I better hear from the teacher that you were the greatest one in there. Because mommy needs a break from you to find Jesus. Now get in there. Right. Okay, society, that's popularity. That's that's the idea that um, everyone is posting this. So I got to post this. And then the third one is success. That's possessions. That's living for idolatry. That's I can't be happy until I get. Now, those are the three I talked about yesterday, and I think they're very, very dominant in our culture, and they're worth thinking about and talking about as a family. Are we um, putting self and society and success as a defining factor of what we're depending on? If your child isn't succeeding at fifth grade, do you feel like you're failing as a parent? If your children do not have the things that other children have. are you you got to get out of that and go, no, no, that's not what this is about. Here's the one I really think is going on in terms of what's super causing weakness in our families. And um, what is weak in our families is the idol of overprotection. We have, because uh, the more complicated our world has gotten and the more divided our world has gotten, um, the more we have responded, especially as evangelical Christians, to o- as in overprotection. And the problem with that is that it raises really unresilient children. So, I'm, I'm, I probably used this example last time I was here, so if you were here last time, forgive me. But uh, compare the um, playground equipment when I was a child with the playground equipment now. So, now on the playgrounds, you don't have bark anymore, you have this fluffy techno stuff made in Japan or something. And then there's all these nice little plastic formed ultra safe sort of play things back in my day. You had three things. One of them was like a spinny top thing. You remember this and it was crooked and it was on a hinge and it was rusty and you needed a tetanus shot just to look at this thing and every kid would get on this thing and then the two biggest kids would run and spin it and the goal was to spin it so fast. Kids would start flying off of it. Remember that? And you came home, and your jeans were ripped, and your mom didn't even ask you why. She was just like, "Oh man, my mom took the pockets off the back of our jeans and sewed them over the knees." I'm not saying that we should be completely unsafe with children. I'm just saying we overprotect them, and we lose something there. How do you create? Uh, let me give you this one quote. This this gal. Uh, uh, Jean Cheng Gorman, she's a psychologist and a pastor. She works for the Covenant Evangelical Covenant Church uh, in their effort to keep pastors healthy. She has said this. Resilient, this is research, by the way. This is her uh, encapsulating all of the research on what makes a person bounce back. What makes a person get back up off the ground after something really hard has happened to them or their family. Resilience can only be built in challenging circumstances. If you want your child to not have bounce back ability or your grandchild when they get older and you know something bad's going to happen, then don't let them go through any challenging circumstances. The sad part is it's so hard to watch our children suffer. So hard, isn't it? And especially what happens is you bring empathy to that because you remember going through hard things. You know, I, I had one person, I have this theory that middle school ministry is the most important ministry in any church. It's just a pivotal ministry. And I had this pastor, youth pastor asked me, well, then why don't most senior pastors fund it more if you really believe this? Why is that? And I said, because most senior pastors have repressed their middle school years and never want to think about them ever again. You see your child go through that stuff and you're like, you just want to rescue them, but if you do, you're going to diminish their ability to develop resilience. Okay, so what should we do? Let's go forward. Um, James says, "Count it all joy when you suffer many trials." Why? Because it produces resilience. How do you do that? How do you do that? Creating resilience in my family. Uh, I think I got five things really quick here, and we'll go fast. Number one is master the message. Master the message. What is the illiteracy rate in Israel among Jewish students? Do you want to know? Zero. Zero. There are no um, at third at the third grade level in Israel. There are no children that don't know how to read and write at third grade level. Why is that? Because there is a very long heritage going all the way back to what Phil is teaching of an emphasis on mastering the text. There's a there's a great, beautiful heritage on being learners, on thinking On critical thinking. And this should be our Christian heritage as well. We need to raise up people that are disciplined in their mind. You know what they call an ADHD person? A man. (laughs) All of us. Come on, man. Give me an amen. All of us have a slight level of it. And all of us, I have found, can actually overcome a lot of that uh, 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 that inability to pay attention if, we are challenged to you know i i, I was a very disorganized child now if, if you talk to my staff i'm over organized they're annoyed by how organized i am do you know what taught me to become a more organized person even dealing with a lot of adhd in my life poverty i learned that if i didn't pay attention i would lose opportunities and not be able to pay from provide for my family your children can learn this it's just a matter is it a value preach the word be prepared in season and out of season there is so much connotation to this he's got to know the word he's got to know the word well enough to teach the word do you know how you actually master the word you learn it to the level that you can teach it i had this uh, coach in high school and his name was pat messenger and pat messenger was on the rival high school everyone knew he was a lesson and he had a heart attack one year, and his um, doctor said, you cannot coach football anymore. You can't coach football anymore. So he resigned from coaching football. He went for a year without coaching and went back to his wife. and said, she said, he said, I'm going to coach baseball. And she said, you hate baseball. And he said, you're right. I do. But I just I got to coach something. Well, the doctor said you couldn't coach. He said, no, I couldn't coach football. I'm going to coach baseball. So he got a book from the library. He was fond of telling the story. I must have heard it 15 times. Got a book from the library called The Fundamentals of Baseball. He took that book, The Fundamentals of Baseball, didn't know anything about baseball, hated baseball, took a perennial losing baseball program and won the state championship in one year. And when you played against them, it was annoying because all he would say all game. All right, guys, execute the fundamentals, execute the fundamentals, throw the ball, catch the ball, hit the ball wasn't fa- execute the what is what is it that makes a person strong in a moment of crisis and trial that they're executing the fundamentals what are the fundamentals? Here's four questions I think you all of us could grow in our theological understanding and master you cannot have enough discussion with your kids and grandkids about this. First of all, uh, what is faith and what is grace? Do you really this idea? I find this in Christian homes all the time. We come to faith through grace, and then we actually put a standard of works on our children. So instead of letting them have a born-again experience and understanding what, depending on Jesus and becoming an infant in dependence in Jesus and experiencing God's grace, we're like, are you going to church? Are you going to youth group? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And we're checking off those boxes. All of that's good, but if they don't understand how you actually come to Faith through grace. Number two, what is our view of the inspiration of scripture? This is a critical issue right now. Why do we have a high view of the inspiration of scripture? If you have a high view of the inspiration of scripture, but a high incompetency in how you interpret it, what's the problem there? I see that all the time. If you have a soft view or softening view, what is the problem there? Who should define my identity? Critical. Because our world is telling them right now that your identity should be defined by the strongest urge you feel early in life. Well, I've always felt this way. No, no, no. There's one person that knit me in my mother's womb, and that person is the Lord of my life, and He gets to define what my identity is. Not me, not my parents, not my church, my Lord. My problem with all the identity talk is this. When did we figure out scientifically that making one part of us, our sexuality, should be clearly the driver of our identity? It's it's crazy, but you gotta have this conversation because it's so persuasive and pervasive right now. What is the role, what is my role in church? And I'm talking about capital C Church here, and Phil touched on this yesterday. When you understand the beautiful doctrine of, of uh, is, I have significance. I have a gift and a role to play, and I must play my role. I'm also interdependent. I can't do my role unless you do your role. It's, it's such a psychologically beautiful doctrine. I am important. I'm not more important. I'm critical. I need others that beautiful balance of i play my role but i also appreciate and love and lift up everyone else who plays their role okay uh, let's move on resilient families challenge themselves to learn especially biblically number two correct carefully correct carefully um (laughs) when when we were first having our kids we had a friend group and we're all having kids at the same time i can remember there was one (laughs) there was one couple um Let's just call the dad Tim, because that was his name. And um, he was the unattentive parent. Have you ever been around this guy? The unattentive parent. So we're hiking this trail, and it's like a long fall off this side of the trail. And he's got a you know six, seven-year-old boy, and he's being a six, seven-year-old boy. He's bouncing off everything, and he's falling down the trail. And I'm like, finally, I just said, Tim, your child is going to die. And that will ruin the hike for my children. So... I need you to control your child, and this is what he did. He's like, uh, I have a "Good point, Eli. Stop that." Anyway, what I was saying was, I, "No, no, no, no. At seven, it's no. It's it's like hockey goalie time. It's t- time for you to get in the game." That same friend group, we had the one parent that was constantly overprotecting the child, constantly putting on sunscreen, constantly asking them if their tummy was okay, constantly asking them, "Where does God want you to be?" wants you to correct and encourage and you probably need to figure out which one of those parents you have that tendency if you're a little bit neglectful then you got to actually get in there and start correcting start correcting and if you're a little bit the uh, the other side of it then maybe take a breath let them fall let them scrape their knee let them get a mosquito bite they'll be fine okay uh, we're gonna talk about that more in the parenting let's go ahead and move on from that Um, Resilient families challenge themselves to speak the truth in love. They also understand their parenting tendency. Are they a corrector or an encourager? And they modify for that. Number three, seek hard to hear truth. Right now, what's going on is people are switching churches a lot. I don't like the way my pastor handled um, COVID. I don't like the way my pastor handled the cultural chaos and race. I like the way this pastor's doing it better, and it's just, I get new people every week that, that are like, we, we're, we're coming here because of this and that. And I'm like, well, I got a bunch of people going to your church because of that and this. Um, here's my encouragement to you. Do not pick a church because it agrees with you. Now, I'm not talking about on the Bible and the deity of Christ and all that stuff. I'm talking about how it handles stuff. Pick a church Because they are faithful to the Bible and will speak hard things to you and your family. Don't just go somewhere to escape what you kind of didn't like. Here's what I've learned about church hopping. Is that people that church hop a lot never see a breakthrough. Because what happens is you're going to go to a church and go, man, I love the music here. I love the way the pastor teaches. I love this thing. But after a while, you're going to love it, love it, love it. And then you're going to like, ah, eh, that was okay. I'm not sure I like that. And then some moment's going to happen. And you're like, I didn't love that. And then what happens is if it, you take that moment and go, and oh, now we're going over here, what you're going to go through is the exact same process because you're going to find out there's sinners over there too. And you're going to love it, love it, love it. Then you're going to kind of like it, like it, like it. And then the moment's going to happen. You're like, I don't like that. And you're going to go back to square one in your relationships and develop. What happens is when the moment that you don't like it, you press through, you get breakthrough. I had a, 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 a one of our really most faithful guys. He was uh, way, way up the top of the state patrol here in California, just retired. And at the beginning of all this, he met with me and he said, you know, the way Bayside handled this one thing, I really didn't like it. Here's my perspective. We had like a two hour conversation about it. I learned some stuff. He learned some stuff. And at the end of it, he said, all right, based on what you told me today. I'm going to actually tell you this. I was like, all right, here it comes. He said, I didn't like the decision. I didn't like the way you guys handled it. And because I didn't like it, I'm going to double down on my commitment to you and my prayer to the Lord that he would show me the right way. And I'm going to stick it through so that we're better the next time. Do you know what happened if we all had that response? Revival. It's called revival. All right, let's move on. Um, seek hard to hear truth. Instead, to suit their own ears, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Um, one other little little tip here: recruit mentors for your children. I used to preach this like, be the most spiritual person in your child's life, dad. And then I actually got a teenager, and I was like, that's stupid. Because the truth of the matter, you know, every one of us, I was talking this on Father's Day. Being a father takes a lot of courage and a lot of humility. And here's where the humility comes. Your 20-something comes home and they're like, hey, you look like you're in a good mood. Oh, my goodness. I got this mentor in my life, Dad. He's so awesome. I just met him and we're talking. And he told me this. And then he'll say something you have told your child a thousand times. It blew my mind, Dad. I wish I heard that before changed my life and you, you just swallow it you swallow it this is why men die early just swallowing it and we just rejoice that the son got the revelation that he needed right we just like praise God the way to go son I'm so proud of you I told you that I was it was four the first time I told you right But when you recruit those mentors, a lot of times they have greater freedom to speak the hard truth to your child. So this is what we do in our Thrive School, our internship on the first day. I tell them, listen, um, there is no one in your life that's a bigger fan of you than your parents. Therefore, they have not told you some hard things about you. Or they told them to you and you didn't hear them because they did it in a way that you didn't hear. Here's what your expectation. Our program is we're going to tell you in a way that you're going to hear it this year. All right, um, here's the one I really want to focus on, and it's a big one. Resilient families challenge themselves to hear hard things. The next one for is remain calm. No one knows how to push your buttons more than your children. They've been studying how to upset you since they were infants. And they're really good at it. They're, they don't even know they're doing it and they're so good at it. They divide and conquer. Hey dad, mom said, the second a child says that, I know a demon's in our house. Hey dad, mom said I could, no, no, no. Okay, let's get mom into the picture right now because this is a negotiation technique. Remain calm, remain calm, remain calm, remain calm. There's a little lie in our culture. It's been going on since the 1960s and the lie is, you got to get it all out. Now, there's some truth to that. Alone, in your bedroom, or with a counselor. You don't get it all out with your children. You don't get it all out with your spouse. You don't get to. I can't tell you how many marriages I have in my office, and I'm like, okay, tell me what happened. You said what to her? You said what to him? Who told you you could talk to each other this way? Well, we had to get it out. I'm like, no, repress it. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. I'm preaching to me right now. Be careful what you say. Now, I, I think there is a moment for catharsis. It's in the prayer closet get on your knees and complain all you want to your father in heaven who hears your prayers I believe if you'll gossip to God and complain to God and be cathartic to God and take all your cares and worries and put them at God's feet then you'll gossip complain and have uh, uh, far less worries in the world so be cathartic before your Heavenly Father who can take it but in your relationships with each other if you want to be resilient you have to stay calm, but you keep your head in all situations. I'm going to tell the worst Greek joke. Every preacher tells this joke. I don't care. It works perfectly here. In the Greek, what does the word all mean here? It means all. But but, Kurt, that situation, I got, no, all. All situations endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. In other words, instead of being upset go on the offensive discharge your duties of your ministry see every opportunity where you're upset as a moment of learning and discipleship not as a personal offense we need to become much 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 better at being much 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 less offended everyone's so offended we are going to heaven for eternity people Jesus knit us together in our mother's womb, come and served us and taught us and showed us the truth and and showed us how to find freedom. Then he died on the cross for us. Then he defeated death so every obstacle between us and the Father could be removed. And now he's preparing a place in his house for you. You got it pretty good. Keep every morning I wake up and I pray this, every single, I did it this morning. Our Father in heaven. And then I stop right there and I go, I got a father. And he ain't just any ordinary father. He's a heavenly father. He's got heavenly authority, heavenly power. I'm going out and facing my day with a father who loves me with all of the power of heaven behind me. I tell my kids all the time, I said, don't you get your dad frustrated. The heavenly father's looking out for him. You don't, you get me mad, you're going to get him mad. I got 57-year history of watching him defend me. So, just back off and they laugh just like you're laughing now but it works they like like, yeah he does like him we've seen that we've seen that we've seen it happen okay Um, three keys to resilience this is again Gene Chang Gorman summarizing the the research on resilience and this is so interesting I love it whenever the science catches up with the Bible the first one is train your thoughts to bounce back, train your thoughts to bounce back. So what that means is expect it to get hard. So what you do is when something something or your child comes home and goes, I had a bad day or or uh, something happens in your marriage or something happens at your church or something happens in your business. You don't go, why is this happening to me? You go, I live in a broken world. Jesus promised that there would be tribulations, but that he's bigger than all the trials. And so this is OK. We're going to bounce back from this. In fact, we're going to We're going to see the opportunity and the obstacle. I believe right now, everything that's gone on with race and and COVID is creating an opportunity for us to tell people, yeah, this life isn't as satisfying as you thought it would be. Maybe there's a problem. I think this is the biggest opportunity for evangelism our uh, culture has ever seen in my lifetime. But we got to see the opportunity and the obstacle. Instead of going, oh, my goodness, how many hand sanitizers do we have to have around church? It's not enough. We can't get the alcohol ha- hand rub in here fast enough. There's the supply from China. we got to go, no, there's a chance to get our friends to consider Christ. So that's the first one. Train your thoughts to bounce back. Then the research says, take control of your emotions. Even when you read it, everything in our world says, no, you can't control your emotions. You gotta, there's no way to do it. No, you can. You are not your emotions. You are not your thoughts. Those are something that happens that you can take control of and learn to take control of It's so important to teach your children that they can take control of their emotions. Okay, so you have a toddler around. You can see this immediately. So the toddler's bumbling around and they're all uncoordinated because they're still figuring out legs and arms and everything. Right. And then they fall down. They fall right on their patootie and they fall down. And what is the first thing they do? They look at you and they go, did I just kill myself? And if you go, oh, are you all right? They'll go, ah, I'm dead now. I knew I would kill myself. I knew I don't know how to walk. I've given up on walking. Just carry me from now on. I'm no good at it. Or if you look at them and you go, no, you're fine. You're good. And you laugh a little bit. Oh, you fell over. And then they'll go, oh, you're right. I fell over. I fell over. Right? They took, that's the moment they take control of their emotions. I don't believe. that it's, you know, it's every child is different and everyone has a theory on how to train your child to sleep. But the goal of sleep training shouldn't be letting them scream and, and get horribly upset. That shouldn't be the goal. But also there is a moment when you watch and you do it right where a child will be upset and then they'll self comfort. They'll grab their own blanket. They'll turn to a different position and they'll self comfort. That's taking control of their emotions. It starts very, very young. And it's something you train someone to do. And the third one is practice resilience habits. What are resilience habits? Um, Resilience habits are going to bed on time. Have a bedtime. Make it very firm for your younger children and then give them a little bit more freedom as they are in high school. But in your household, we have a bedtime. Eat something green. That's a resilience. You cannot be at your best. When you're not actually taking care of your body. Okay, I'm going to cover those in another session. Uh, Last point. Remain calm, remain calm. Last point. Put passion over perfection. Why does Paul end with this? I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What he's saying to Timothy is, I made it all in, all the way. And all in, all the way is better than always perfect. Notice what Paul doesn't say. I never made a bad decision. Forget that whole Barnabas episode where we argued. No, 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 no. I, was, I was right. Barnabas was wrong. He's not appealing to the accuracy of his record, but to the investment of his life. This is super crucial. Okay, because you are not a perfect grandparent and you're not a perfect parent. And that's never going to be the standard that you'll be able to achieve. I uh, One of my children had a very difficult fourth grade year And uh, and it's everything I tried, it was getting worse and worse and worse. And so I decided that we should go to a Christian behavioralist and a Christian behavioralist. That's the type of um, counseling where you start by going, what was the thought that created that emotion that created that reaction? And so you ask this very biblical question, could I replace that thought with a different thought and maybe get a different emotion and get a different reaction? And we get into the counseling and basically the, the fundamental revelation of the counseling was I was causing the problem. And here's what was happening. I had such a non relationship with my father that when my children came, I was too intense in investing in them and leaning into them. I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted to be everything I didn't have. And then when one of them would get into a problem, and I did this with all three, I get into a problem instead of relaxing and staying calm and saying, hey, we'll work to this together. I would kind of lean in with intensity, and by adding my intensity to their problem, it would make their problem worse. And at one point, I said to the, to the uh, counselor, it was a wonderful Christian man, I said, man, I feel like, I just feel like all my best efforts to raise these kids are actually hurting them. He said, no, 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 you can't think about it that way. He said, in the end, your children will love you and be devoted to you, not because you were perfect. That's not how it works no parent is ever perfect. What creates devotion and love in a child is investment, not perfection. When they get to adulthood, they will say, my dad was there. He fought the fight with me. He ran the race with me. And man, that just freed me up. Now this is my goal. I tell them all the time. I said, listen, I made so many mistakes. This is why I'm going to be a great grandfather. I said it yesterday. Because I made them all on you. Now I know what I'm doing. haha. Uh-huh. It's not your perfection. It's your investment. Can I pray for you? Father God, I just pray for every family represented here. That they would leave this week of camp with a new passion to master the message. That, Father God, they wouldn't just hear sermons, but they would dig into your word and become people that are theologically worshiping you. God, I pray that they would correct carefully, not avoiding the correction, but doing it with encouragement and clarity. God, I pray that they would seek hard truth, that they would hear the hard thing, and then that would give them the breakthrough. Jesus, I pray, give us the self-control and emotional maturity to remain calm especially in this cultural moment. God, give us sweet times of complaining and gossiping and being cathartic with you. Give us sweet times of casting all of our cares at your feet. And then as we are with each other, let us love one another the way that you've loved us. And finally, God, I pray for every grandparent and parent in here who isn't perfect, but they're running that race. They're invested, they're trying. I pray that you would encourage them deeply that their investment, their love, their effort is not in vain and that in due time, the good things they're doing will reap a harvest if they do not give up. In Jesus' name, everyone said.
1: Kurt, what a great uh, reminder that the Christian life is one of re, right? It's againness. It's, uh, I wrote a lot of these down. It's remaining. It's resetting. It's recommitment. It's resilience. And as we practice that in our lives, and especially th- as those of us who are parents, I have two boys who are 6 and 11, and oh, boy, uh, he nailed it, right? <laughs> And and so certainly that. So thank you, Kurt. Um, Looking forward to the next few days with you. Um, I am going to turn you loose here. Um, If you did want to see Ron Taylor, our life coach, he's going to be back uh, in the back over here. You'd like to uh, set up a time to meet with him. And then we'll give you about 20 minutes, and then we're going to play that video. That's your reminder. Come on back. I'm going to tell you all about train day and how that's going to work. It's a little different. So when you hear that video, start making your way on back here. But we'll give you about 20 minutes, and we will see you then. Thanks.